Hello everyone, welcome to Take the Black Live. I am Dan Selke, the editor of WindowsComing.net. I am here with Fansided's own Josh Hill. Hello. Ably filling in for Cheryl Wassenaar of Cultures, who mm-hmm. is on vacation this week on a boat in a landlocked state. Yeah. I forget exactly where. It's, I don't know where either, but I'm just fascinated by <laughs> being in a boat in a landlocked state. But if you're watching Cheryl, hope you're having a good time. Anyway, we are here to talk about all things Game of Thrones, all things A Song of Ice and Fire. And uh, uh, happily, all of a sudden today, we had quite a lot of news. Mm-hmm. Um, the Television Critics Association uh, press tour yep. st- kicked off today. HBO is the first uh, thing that went. And just all of a sudden, they told us things about Game of Thrones Season 8. They told us things about the uh, prequel. They mentioned just the state of HBO in general, stuff about Westworld and Deadwood and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to break down what we learned about Game of Thrones, the final season, and beyond at this morning's Television Critics Association Press Junket, where HBO programming president Casey Bloys was all a Twitter with news. And thanks, everyone, for joining us. Hey, Dan, Joseph, uh, Janine, Kathleen, and, of course, later, we are giving away uh, one of several Game of Thrones figurines, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. First, <laughs> let's break down the news. Josh, do you, yes. uh, were you up on the TCAs this morning? I was, and I was also up on your outline, <laughs> which perfectly yeah, outlined that the TCAs. Helps. It was, uh, you know, HBO has been in the news lately with the whole Netflix thing, so, <laughs> and a variety of different reasons, but I feel like they came out pretty strong here with yeah. their stance of, I think Bloys said something, he took a few shots at Netflix, which is pretty well, interesting. I think, well, like, when it comes to HBO and Netflix, I think Bloys didn't take shots on Netflix. He, he, he tried to downplay the non-existent raging war between HBO and Netflix, as he put it. Oh, it was all passive-aggressive. Because at one point, didn't he say, like, we're uh, getting investments. We're not going to go to a point where we were losing quality control. Yeah. I'm like, that's a shot at Netflix. I, I thought that was, oh, well, That's maybe. a shot, because it's like, Netflix, there's no way Netflix is paying attention to whatever, like, random B-horror movie that's down there from some amateur indie you know, studio or something like that. So there's a lot of stuff on Netflix. And I, I interpreted that as a shot being like, look, we're going to stay premium quality. <laughs> we're not going to dabble in you know, just throwing a million things at you and seeing what things stick. Do we see that he, he actually called out, uh, no one is asking us to take pitches of a Love Boat reboot with some Ooh, Love Boat shade. See, another shot. <laughs> well, what happened was is that AT&T bought, bought HBO not mm. too long ago. And... Uh, there is this town hall meeting with a new guy in charge. His name is John Stanky, which isn't a funny name. If you laugh at it, you're, you're, you're immature. <laughs> and uh, he basically outlined the new strategy for HBO, which was, we're going to have you produce more content because we want more money. Mm-hmm. And Bloy said things like, you know, we're still going to maintain our, our premium brand, but we're going to do it on a higher scale, which could explain some of like the, the Game of Thrones spinoffs they're making, that they are going to start making more content. But that, may, that, but that may be some people nervous and say like, oh, HBO's over. Oh, now I guess HBO is going to produce like yeah. show after show after show after show after show because you know that you know the Netflix, as you just said, that they produce a lot of stuff, and I I I I don't think they expect it all to succeed. They just mm-hmm. kind of like put it out there, and if it gets seen, if Stranger Things becomes a hit, great. But that show could have just as easily slipped under the radar, and no one ever found it. Yeah, but it's their formula is they're going to throw so much against the wall. Like they Netflix, to their credit, have found the sweet spot of. This is the amount of shows that we can put on without losing money. And right. they're like, they hit the profit margin sweet spot to where they've got so much on there that it's impossible for them mm-hmm. to lose money, but just enough so that they're not overspending. 
Although we have no way of knowing for what the ratings are because they don't have a Nielsen rating thing. And they're so against it for that specific reason because they can make up whatever number that they want and say, oh, yeah, we got <laughs> 4 billion viewers on the first you know, episode of season three of Stranger Things. When really, maybe they're saying, you know, over the course of the next billion years, 4 billion people are going to watch <laughs> it. So we don't know what their, their, their exact formula is. But to their credit, they figured that out. HBO has been criticized before for not having enough. You know, when Game of Thrones was going off, mm -hmm. or when we heard a couple of years ago that Game of Thrones was ending, the narrative immediately became, oh, crap, what's next? HBO doesn't have anything after this. They tried vinyl. It didn't work. Yeah. They stumbled into to Westworld. The, crime, the deuce right now. Yeah, the like deuce. That. So the narrative for HBO has always been it's been Game of Thrones and then a giant question mark for what's after that. Sure. With the joke being, oh, they're going to make prequels, which they're making now. Make but... I'm, I'm in favor of HBO going with more content because I can see that being enough content, which is enough content to fill a void that Game of Thrones is going to leave, and they're not just letting that get sucked into the vacuum. They're actually filling, filling that hole and, and, and riding that momentum into more shows and filling it with more quality, and not to the extent that Netflix is going, which is the easy trap to fall in and say, oh, they're just going to be Netflix now, which I don't think is true. Right. I don't think so either. And I mean, I mean, I, I'm not even sure people really, I mean, that's part of the thing people like about HBO, that they don't make all the tons yeah. of shows and they do focus on quality and that each show they really sell mm -hmm. and put effort behind. But I mean, if we're talking about, um, you know, what, what the way that Netflix and HBO do, do things differently, one thing Netflix doesn't have that it wishes it had, Game of Thrones itself, yeah. which is still a huge draw. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. It's one of the things at the TCAs was... Uh, Casey Bloys, president, confirmed that, not a giant surprise, but Game of Thrones Season 8, final season, is going to debut in the first half of 2019. Mm -hmm. Not a shocker. I yeah. mean, we probably figured that. But uh, still good to have it confirmed. We knew it was going to be next year. We didn't know exactly when. So now, <laughs> January to June. Mm -hmm. um, what we're betting... March or April, that's what Seems we're thinking. Right, yeah. We don't know for sure, people, but we're betting March or April just because you know, it's done filming. It's they have at least five months to do editing, post-production, which would be more than enough. Mm -hmm. Not even like giant-ass movies take over five months to do like, well, do they? Do you know? Eh. Probably not. Probably not. Like, every prior season has not taken that long to do special effects. And then just because the past seasons have usually aired around March or April, it's a good bet that they'll kind of get that in and just yeah. have the final season air Normally, unless they want to do it in like January or February and just have be kind of special winter time. Yeah, winter has come. Exactly. That would be good. That'd be a nice marketing. The marketing campaign would write itself. Oh, yeah. It'd be very easy. It's very on the nose, though. It's too on the nose for Game of Thrones. Oh, it's whatever. Like, uh... Game of Thrones can do what it wants now. It can do whatever it wants. People will watch. <laughs> it really could. It could just have a black screen with a smear of crap on it and just like that's the what if the art. last season of the show is a black screen and it's just like the entire book it's like 18 there you go. million you gotta read it viewers <laughs> first night anyway that's happening well that, again that, that's pretty expected yeah the thing we weren't quite sure of that he confirmed was the game of thrones prequel so they're making this show age of heroes long night no name yet but said mm -hmm. thousands of years before the current show um there was a rumor reported by the Belfast Telegraph that they were going to have this show filming in October, which is pretty mm -hmm. soon, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about HBO becoming a more, you know, uh, nimble, content-rich network. The, 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 the idea that they would be planning something that soon 
was a little surprising. Like mm -hmm. HBO takes its time a little more, finesses things. So folk were, were surprised, and it ends up they needn't have been because it's not true. Yeah. Uh, Casey Bloys said that the Game of Thrones prequel series that I'm just going to call The Long Night. What do you think of that? If you the Long Night. For it. Yeah, I think it's a good name. Yeah. It's not. I mean, what are they going to call it? Game of Thrones, the prequel. Like, Two. They, yeah, not the working Game, Night, of Thrones Game of Thrones in there. Story. Not working Game of Thrones in there, I think, is super key because we all know it's a Game of Thrones prequel. Sure. And if people don't know that, then let them discover it on its own. Don't force feed another Game of Thrones. I get from the marketing standpoint, mm -hmm. striking while the iron is hot, to throw Game of Thrones in there, but you don't have to do that. Like, we know it exists. I agree with you completely. I'm not sure they see that way. Mm -hmm. Like George, George R. R. Martin said that uh, they're probably going to work the word Game of Thrones in there. And just, it, it, you, but you're right. It does seem like kind of like it's beneath them almost. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to put Game of Thrones in the title of a prequel to get people to watch it. But I mean, you know, you see it's like Star Wars, like Solo, exactly. a Star yeah. Wars story, it's Rogue stupid. One, a Star Wars story. Like they want you to know what movie you are seeing. Mm -hmm. And I, I can't see HBO going that way. I hope they don't. I, I hope they forge their own path with it. Yeah, but it's you, got, you got to give the fan base a little bit of credit mm -hmm. to say, look, they're going to know what it is. And again, let people discover it. Like, what's wrong with that? So even the books, like Game of Thrones is the name of one book, is yeah. it not? And it's like, I can see it on the poster, like they've got the big text of, mm -hmm. you know, you know the, the name of the show, and then up in the, right in the middle of the text in a really small font, it's Game of Thrones. And then it's the big text is the name of the show, but they're sure. going to work that in there. I guess trademarking or whatever, but. I, I, I just hope it's, a, it's, a, it's classy. By the way, great comments from people. Uh, Joseph wants a hot pie show. I would, I've been advocating for that for a long time. Hot oh, pie yeah. sitcom. I would love that. <laughs> uh, Mike J. Curtis wants GOT the first Sunday of January. Naturally. Just get it out as quick as possible. <laughs> and uh, Dan Turton hopes in March or April, and I would totally agree with that. Anyway, before I went on this tangent, I was going to say that the uh, Game of Thrones prequel show, Age of Heroes, is going to be filmed next year. Not October, mm -hmm. as yeah. Belfast, Belfast, Belfast Telegraph reported. Which makes sense. So the old yeah. show will wrap up. They'll start production on the new show. And uh, that probably means, I'm, you can tell me if, if I'm wrong, they'll have the new show debuting 2020, maybe late 2019. That's not bad. 2020, I think you could kind of, mm -hmm. starting the next decade with a new Game of Thrones. Yeah. My question is, because I don't know anything about this story as far as sure. where it exists in the Game of Thrones chronology. Is this going to be like a Better Call Saul situation where the deeper no. into the season we get, it's like, oh, this is we're starting to break bad or we're going to start seeing characters, maybe like the Mad King or something like that, or no, it's, as it's, Ned. And... It's like no one will, it's that thousands of years before. Oh. So no one will be born for a long time. Oh, okay. Which is good and bad, good. right? I like that, Because yeah. that means you're like, you're, it's a clean break. There's mm -hmm. no chance of having a Kit Harrington cameo. It cannot happen. I like it. Or a Ned Stark cameo. Um, White Walkers might still be around. Like there could be dragons, but not yeah. the ones we know. I'm sure there'll be like callbacks, like little Easter eggs oh, sure. and stuff. But uh, yeah, not having the characters come back. That's I always yeah, I dislike it's, it's solid. Although I say that and again, being, Better Call Saul has been doing really well with that. Exactly. I was going to say, you know, that being said, the more that Better Call Saul breaks bad, it, the mm -hmm. more interesting it gets. But I think that's kind of a lightning in the bottle thing, where it's like, don't you kind of right replicate yeah. it. The, 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 that show is kind of proving fictional wisdom wrong on prequels in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. It's, it's, it's a great show. Um, so that is happening. I got some good comments here. Can't come soon enough, says Marilyn. I agree. 2020, hope I'm still around by then, says Julie Davies. You'll be around by then, Julie Davies. Well, Hi, Julie she, Davies. I thought she meant you. Watching. I was like, wow. Wow, Julie. Julie, you'll be around. <laughs> yeah, harsh. you'll be around. And ooh, this is a good one. Donna says that I heard D&D, but you have to wise people who buy Game of Thrones not involved in the prequels. Is that correct? It may look like a completely different show. 
And that is true, Donna. Uh, Benioff and Weiss, the guys behind Game of Thrones, are not involved in the prequels. They are so finished. They are moving on to other things. They're going to make Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, and it, it could be a different show, which I'm all for. I'm for having a new angle, a new feeling, because you just don't want to repeat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, now I'm just thinking about your Hot Pie sitcom. I'm like, that would be exactly Dude, the type of different great. that we need. Half I know. hour. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, like a Cheers style show? Like yes, it's just exactly. Yeah. Like, yep. Real quick. It. My dream is to have, because they, they want more than one show if they can get it. So fine, like have your hour long epic whatever, but then mm-hmm. have like a half hour lighter <laughs> thing to like go with it. Yeah. I, I would be more willing to watch the hour long drama if you came with a half hour fun thing. Just saying, hot pie cheers, into the crossroads, he bakes bread, he falls in love with the waitress, yada yada yada, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, before we get to the giveaway, which is still coming, mm. uh, let's talk a little quick, another note about what happened to the TCAs, because I got to mention Confederate real quick. Mm. Remember this show? Oh, yeah. This was the show that Benioff and Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys, were going to make before they got tapped for Star Wars. It was going to be an alternate history of the United States, where the Civil War was fought to a standstill and slavery was still legal, and it caused a ridiculously big backlash probably for good reason. Mm-hmm. And since then, they haven't really mentioned it. And somebody asked about it at the TCAs, and Blois just said, no change, uh, everyone's very busy. Now, what's that say to you? It says to me that I think the show is on hiatus. Yeah. So I, don't I don't think, think that show is so it. dead. Which is good. Like, that was a very bad idea that didn't need to happen, and clearly <laughs> it's not going to happen. So... The problem with that is it's the same problem that I had with, did you see Detroit, the Catherine Bigelow movie? So it's a movie about the Detroit riots in the 1960s, and it's a really in-your-face, aggressive, um, you know, take on, it's very real, it's very uh, raw, people get beat, yeah. But it's made by a couple of white people, mm-hmm. and it's a black story, right. and it's very aggressive, and it's very violent, and it's impossible to see past who is making that art. So, and it was a very well-made film. I mean, Catherine Bigelow, she's a great director, and it was written by the guy who she did, uh, I'm blanking on the movie now, but they want to... Oh, the, Mark Bowl? Yeah, did, Mark uh, Bowl. The Hurt Locker? The Hurt Locker, movie. yeah. I remember, it's great. So... It's impossible to get past the idea of this was created by these two people. Now, if it was a Barry Jenkins thing, I'd be a little bit more inclined to say, okay, mm. I get where this is coming from because it's not really their story to tell. <laughs> like, especially, and that was a real, that was a true story. Catherine Bigelow was telling a true story. <laughs> this is like a fantasy where, where slavery still exists, told by a couple of white guys. Now, whether or not you take the creativity out of it, the optics, you can't get past it in this day and age. So the, the idea that this show isn't going to happen is a very good thing. And I think that they fell into Star Wars at the right time where they're like, oh, we're too busy with Star Wars. Sorry, we can't make this horrible idea that we had. Yeah, I but I think, it's, I think they'll be busy for a while every single time uh, Confederate comes up. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's a complicated issue. I would talk more about it, but I see people who want to get to the giveaway so Naturally. I think I'm, we're going we're gonna to get into it. Let's Although, give away. One, one, one quick last thing. Are you excited for a Deadwood movie? Yes, Deadwood. I'm <laughs> absolutely excited for a Deadwood movie. Great, cut it off. Now there. that it's, it's finally happening. happening. Fingers crossed. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, it'll happen. It, it's um, this year they're making it, apparently, in October. Yeah, well, I'll, so I'll like believe it when off. I'm seeing it. So. Gotcha. Okay. Now that we've gone through the news, let's get to the thing some of you are probably here for. We're going to give away... One of five Game of Thrones action figures. Let's flash them up on the screen there. Shall we, Richard? 
Oh, <laughs> there we go. Oh, those are cool. So thanks to fun.com, partners at fun.com, we are able to give away one of these five figures. We got five to choose from. We got an Aria 11-inch statue, valued at almost $200, the most expensive one on this little list. We got a 8-inch Brienne statue, valued at 20 bucks. I feel like I should say this just in case. So some of these do vary, but they're all, you know, fun take-home items. We got a Jon Snow bust from Battle of the Bastards, six inches, valued at 100 bucks. Pretty cool there. We got two Daenerys statues. One eight-inch, that kind of figure on the right there, for 30 bucks, and a second one of her lounging with Drogon, nine inches front to back, valued at $90. And you fine viewers could, take, could have one of these mailed directly to you. And here's the way it's gonna work. When we do a giveaway, I am going to ask a trivia question about something related to Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, you guys are going to email your answers to dan.selke at winteriscoming.net. Uh, Richard, could you put that like in the comments? <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so I'm gonna ask a trivia question. and. You're going to email your answers to that email address, dancelkywinnerscoming.net. The first person to get the correct answer, I will write back, say congratulations, ask you which one you want, which are the figures you want, ask for your address, and then it will be mailed out to you. Congratulations, uh, preempt <laughs> preemptively. Uh, but you got to get back to me within 24 hours with your selection or move on to the person who gave the answer second fastest, third and fourth, and so on until I get something mm. I can use. All right. So to win one of these... Beautiful figures from fun.com. you got to answer the following trivia question. <clears throat> okay. In the Song of Ice and Fire novels, what is the name of the chess-like board game Tyrion Lannister plays during his travels in Essos? In A Dance with Dragons, Tyrion's going to Essos. He gets kicked that he leaves King's after, after killing his father. He travels. This is not in the show. But he spends some time playing like this kind of Westerosi version of chess, basically. Mm -hmm. And George R. R. Martin goes into some detail about it. What is that game called? It's a big hit in Essos. A bunch of different people play it. It involves little pieces, elephants, dragons, yada, yada, yada. What is the name of the chess-like game Tyrion Lannister plays in the Song of Ice and Fire novels after he leaves King's Landing following the death of his father on the toilet? Uh, give the answer to that question. Email it to dan.selke at winteriscoming.net. I see some folk already know it, but you got to email me. Mm -hmm. And uh, just as a, a final precaution, unfortunately, this is only available to U.S. Uh, citizens wow. or, or, or people in, in the U.S., not, not citizens. If you live yeah. here, we can mail it to you. And uh, we thank fun.com for, for, for letting us do this. All right. And now, after that's done, I'd like to bring on Fanside of Zone, Josh Hill. <laughs> For a continuing series that we call A Song of Dan and Josh. Yes. Where the two of us go through every chapter of the Song of Ice and Fire novels, mining them for, for insights. What makes them work? Oh, yeah. What doesn't make them work? Are they good? Are they bad? How, how does it happen? I've read all the books multiple times. Josh, Josh has never read the books. First time through the books. You'll get to confess eventually, mm -hmm. in the longest time from now. And let's get to it. Let's do it. Today we covered. Uh, Eddard 15, the final Eddard chapter. Spoiler alert, we'll ever yeah. get. Too bad. <laughs> and uh, Catelyn 9. Yeah. So Eddard 15, pretty simple. Uh, he's in a dungeon. He's in the Red Keep. 
He has a talk with Varys. Mm-hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have told you this is a final Eddard chapter. If you had just read it, would you think it's the final Eddard chapter? Uh, probably not. I would think that he maybe had some more story to tell or something like that, or maybe to mm-hmm. toil away. Maybe we would have more his perspective of like the execution, and then we would flip to another character for the execution. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen this as his final chapter, which almost works because it is a very sudden death. So mm-hmm. the fact that we don't have some nice little send off where it's like, and then he walks to the executioning stage, right. and that was Ned. It's just like he's doing <laughs> and this that thing, was Ned. and then it's, and then it's done. So we have no idea that it's coming. So I, f- I feel like that's almost fitting in in the way that his story has gone this, so far. Fair enough. I mean, because the chapter is like an interstitial thing. It yeah. like ends with kind of Varys giving him this choice. Yeah. Like, do you want to? Um, you know, confess your crimes, mm-hmm. which is a lie, yep. and say that Joffrey is the true king, which is a lie, mm-hmm. and just lie your ass off in order to save your life and the life of your daughter, or do you want to, you know, hang on to the truth and surely be killed? Yeah. Which is kind of his uh, dilemma. Yeah, and usually when, like, you get these questions asked, you get... Yeah, a, you get an answer. You get an answer, and you... Which that's, you, you, you do, chapter. but not from Ned's perspective. Exactly, and that like, implies that there is maybe another chapter here, which, again, the suddenness of it just ending... Is and also it gives it. I mean, I don't know how it all plays out in the book. I mean, we know how it goes mm-hmm. in the show. Well, it's the same. But his well, yeah. But from the standpoint of it's all spiraling out of control. Like he's made mm-hmm. his decision, and now you're out of his head, and there's no rationalizing it. It's just like you're completely on the outside watching him toil away as he's made his decision, and there's nothing to change. All the things that are going on around him. So to take us out of his head and make us watch as he just goes down this. Dark hole of death. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> dark hole of yeah. death. Very locked up. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll see that soon enough. Julie says that it was complete shock that Ned actually got the chop. Mm. Uh, which, yeah, I uh, yeah. completely sympathize with that. Anyway, um, the, the I, I think what, the big thing we get in this chapter is it's very simple. Ned's mm-hmm. in a dungeon, yeah. and Varys visits him. Like that's the whole thing. They have a conversation. What do they talk about, Ned and Varys? Who comes in disguise again, by the way? It's <laughs> huh. like grizzled, like uh, like hair on his face and all yeah. dirty. Like Ned doesn't recognize him. It was almost. I mean, I was I was trying to get a read on Varys because he's mm-hmm. kind of like giving him a whole spiel about how isn't it so terrible that the innocent are always the ones that go down? <laughs> and it's like, oh man, come on, like you know what's going to happen here. But he also made it very clear that he's kind of in business for the realm. He's not somebody who's been bought off or working for Cersei or for Littlefinger. It's like he is his he is the guy of the land. He is the man of the land. So, but that is what he claims, right? Yeah. I serve the realm and the realm needs peace. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he advises Ned to do the lying thing, yeah. to just do what Cersei wants. Mm-hmm. Tell her that Joffrey's the king. Swear to it so she has this kind of out to get out of your son. Yep. Like, basically, what she, wants, she, wants, she wants them to do that to pacify Rob. She mm-hmm. figures, okay, if I can get Ned on the record saying, my son's the rightful king and I was bad, I'm sorry, and then go back, they won't have any reason to come and fight mm-hmm. me. Because i got to deal with Stannis right now. He's yeah. the bigger problem. And Renly. So i got to fight them. I can't fight this northern weirdo kid up there. Um, so that's what she wants, and Ned doesn't want to do that because he's a, you know, he's, he likes the truth. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's into the truth. Um, and Varys says he wants to do that for the good of the realm. Do we buy that completely? Because no. I mean, we also know, we've seen him conspiring in this book 
with Illyrio Mapatis, yeah. who is the one who's kind of brood, uh, what's the room? grooming Viserys and Daenerys to mm-hmm. take over. And we know at the end of the day, he actually wants a Targaryen restoration. So is he bluffing here? Is he just so deep into the role of... Or, or perhaps he's like playing a kind of role that he knows Ned will respond to. Yeah, that's what I, that's the way I interpreted it, which is why he kind of gave him that spiel about, oh man, isn't it so awful that everybody who tells the truth just gets a bad rap, mm-hmm. which is true. Like he's not necessarily twisting I mean, yeah, the truth it, there. He's being very honest. It does work. I mean, it does, Ned yeah. does end up lying, isn't doing any good. But. Yeah, and that, that, that's, he's playing the part to kind of finally get Ned to do what he needs him to do so and he was actually being honest and saying it sucks that when you tell the truth it doesn't really work out for you which is ned's entire journey in this story which is being a slave to the truth and this is where it gets you so in a dungeon like for days on end thinking about how robert is probably gonna you know berate him for wanting to stick to his morals and be the honest honorable guy like uh kind of hallucinations things going on his Legs hurting more and more. Yeah, not a good place. Mm-hmm. Although, isn't it ironic that when he finally does decide to lie, that when he finally starts to play the game a bit, okay, I will lie to save myself and my daughter. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter that yeah. he ends up getting killed anyway because Joffrey's a little psychopath. Yeah. I, I wonder if what would have happened if he would have stayed true to his morals, if he would have just yeah. rode out the hero's tale to the end. Was there... A little bit of room for an escape. Was there room for him to figure out, okay, this is how I can get out of it? Or maybe somebody comes to his aid. Maybe he goes that route and it forces somebody else's hand who's playing the game. They're like, oh, damn it. Now we need to help Ned. So I don't know. Um, I guess we'll never know. But it is good. I like that he finally, finally starts playing the game. And as soon as he sells his soul, it's like, for what? For nothing. You lose. I mean, I like to think that it would have made a difference, which, by the way, I think is a really great point and a really kind of funny point about it is the, the whole magic of the book I've been saying that for a while is that Ned isn't the main character yeah. in the story isn't it because in, in this kind of story you expect the heroic guy to stay at the center of the story mm-hmm. and then really what ha- ends up happening is Joffrey who's kind of a tangential character mm-hmm. changes everything and just the idea to have a big important story turn on the act of like a little shrimpy asswipe is a very bold move. Yeah. Because, you know, little trippy aspects don't change stories like that. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they're tertiary characters, which is kind of the, the amazing thing about it. And, and true to life, because sometimes random stuff just happens. Yeah. And history turns on that. By the way, I really like this comment from... Uh... <laughs> oh, my God. Um, from Karen. Um, or they would have Joffrey... Or Varys would like Joffrey on the throne because it would be easier for Danny to conquer him, which I like that too. So maybe... Yeah. There's just like, ooh, we better if Joffrey's on here because Sam's going to be difficult to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, Joffrey's Joffrey just a little kid. And by the way, uh, Corey Smith writer gives me a link to an Emerald Weekly article that I cannot play because I'm on a show. So um, oh, if you Corey. could look at it and maybe <laughs> write it up on Wick, it would be terrific. <laughs> Why would he do that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let's go on to Catelyn 9. Yes. Okay. This is. Uh, Catelyn the Riverlands. Oh, wait. This is uh, Catelyn and Rob trying to cross a bridge that owned by Walder Frey. Yep. Walder Frey Walder comes Frey. in. Old meat pies. What do you think of his introduction? We meet Walder Frey for the first time. I just can't. I can never imagine anybody else other than the actor who plays him 
on the show. Like that's just it's so he did a really so good, good job. And I see him in everything else now, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, it's Walter Frey. Like he was in Broadchurch. I was like, oh, it's Walter Frey. He's in Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I forgot about that. I'm like, oh, yeah. Walter Frey and his cat. Like, careful. And he looks the same. Even he does. It was like over like ten years ago. Fifteen years ago. Yeah. Almost twenty years ago, and he looks exactly the same. Monster oh, typecast or typecast. You are. Um, this was an interesting chapter in that it kind of reminded me a little bit of The Last Jedi, where a major plot point of The Last Jedi this is just... a lot of things remind you of The Last I know. Jedi. It's like, the sh- it's like, because a major plot point in The Last Jedi is this ship is moving. Yes. And we need to catch the ship. And this is very basic. It's like, we need to cross the bridge. Mm-hmm. There's the bridge. Let's make a deal. And like, it was just very, there's not a whole lot that goes on, but there's so much that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, a lot of these chapters are like that, where they're very, they seem minimalist, but there's just packed with a ton of stuff. Because here he's making this blockbuster trade to like marry off his children and marry off, you know, and, and get his children jobs here with being squires and being wards with, in the north. Like small kind of petty things. Just like. to cross a bridge. It's like, again, it kind of highlights that in this huge game that we're all playing mm-hmm. and everybody's so obsessed with the throne and with armies and with power. It's like even the, the act of crossing a bridge you can't do without this laundry list of demands being met. And in the end, it doesn't matter because the White Walkers are coming. So here we are, we're squabbling over the crossing of a bridge mm-hmm. when really, what is this all about? What, is it, what does it mean? Because the White Walkers are coming. So Yeah, the, the, the perspective tricks are, are great in the book. Yeah. Just the way they kind of put this against something <laughs> much bigger that'll come later. And it is very, very, very effective. Um, let's talk about Catelyn really quick in it, yeah. because Julie made because Julie Davies, who's a longtime uh, watcher and commenter, mm-hmm. you're uh, watching right now. Hello, Julie. Julie's Love an your commented. You sent in a comment to us about uh, Catelyn, just in general. We asked for your opinions about Catelyn, and you're not a big fan, Julie. And w- one of the things we got to say was about this moment, mm-hmm. um, just talking about how Catelyn being kind of having an inflated sense of self and thinking she's the only one who can go and meet Walter Frey and make this deal, and then making a kind of a bad one that sacrifices Rob's future for a good cause, but should have allowed Rob to have a voice in that decision. Um, personally, I disagree with you, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm reading this chapter, and thinking about your comment, and I think it lays out pretty clearly why Catelyn w- was the one to go and, uh, <laughs> and it, 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 she says, hate Catelyn. All right. Let's, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's, try, to, let's try to change your mind. Um, it, it lays out pretty clearly why they thought that Catelyn would be the best choice to do it. Mm-hmm. This, because Rob and his army are on the one side of the river, on the twins. They need to get across the bridge so they can uh, fight uh, Jamie's army. Yeah. And they're worried that if they send Rob in, Walder Frey is the kind of treacherous bastard who just might kill him and turn mm-hmm. him over to the Lannisters. And Rob is can't be lost. He's the king. Mm-hmm. If, he lo- if he's lost, it, it all falls apart. Like, then there'll be a, you know, a jockeying for who should do it next. Bran can't do it. He's back at Winterfell. He has no legs. Rickon's a baby. Sansa and Arya are gone. Like, all the lords would fight. Catelyn is, is, a, is a wife of the lord. She would also have to fight, but it might not win. So the, I, 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 I think the reason Catelyn goes is because she's the right person because she is important, but she's not so important you couldn't, you couldn't lose her and survive. I think that's why she does it. I think it's kind of self-sacrificing <laughs> in a way because she risks herself to go yeah. do this. As for the deal she makes, I mean, I think it's the kind of thing that 
you just have to swallow if you want to. <laughs> and Rob, Rob does have a call. Yeah. Like she says, so, okay, he wants you to marry his daughter. You're a squire. You're going to have a squire, his like grandson now. We're going to take two of them to Winterfell. Marry off like, Arya. Yeah, marry off Arya. She's not going to like that. He says, yeah. but she would not. Um, and then Rob does say, like, do I have to? <laughs> Catelyn's like, if you want to cross, yes. And he says, uh, okay, fine, I'll do it. He, he could have said no. It was a difficult choice. I, I, I don't think it was the wrong choice. No, I agree. I think it was the right choice to make. And I wonder if it was did not. Catelyn, not even specifically just Catelyn, but this plan, I don't know if we necessarily had to stick to it. Mm-hmm. So we can agree at the time to be like, all right, fine, we'll do all these things. You can hire the squire. We'll marry this off. Mm-hmm. But like how, you know, how attached are they to like seeing the deal through? Like, mm-hmm. I understand that there's the loyalty and the, the bond and everything like that, but it's not like Walter Frey is a Santa Claus. Like, they're not betraying the world's most beloved man here. It's Walter Frey. No. So I, I, I was reading them make the deal, but in the back of my mind, I was like, well, first of all, Arya is not going to go for that. So right there, the deal is busted a little back, bit. Right. Yeah, there's no way in hell she's going for that. She'll run away if she has Probably, to. Yeah. Like, or she'll find some really creative, smart way to get out of it. Rob, stab somebody. yeah, Rob, whatever, I guess he can go with it for, for then. But then he's kind of like almost a Robert Baratheon in that way, where it's like, is he really going to be loyal to his wife? Is he really going to do this? He's going to run around and you're almost creating a problem. You kind of, history is repeating itself and you can kind of see why Robert and these Kings are kind of the way that they are. Cause it's like, well, they have to make these deals that they don't want to make. And then they think that they can run around on this. So I didn't think that the deal would last. I didn't hate Catelyn for making it. Mm-hmm. I think it was the only move that they could have made. Like, what were they going to do? They were just, well, it was uh, really, they were kind of out of options. So I, I agree with you, but I, I do think there's a big hole in your argument that, that Julie points out that Rob does end up going against his word, and it does not work out well. He, he marries somebody else, and then Walter Frey murders, <laughs> murders them him. all. Yeah. So I would give some side eye to the idea of, oh, we can just ignore it. Yeah. He, he tried that. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Very, very poorly. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, and to Julie, I'd say that, I mean, yes, it, it did not work out. But I, I think the great thing about this series is that I mean, you, you, you just can't see the far into the future. Yeah. That this gamble ends up working out. They get across the bridge. They capture Jamie Lannister. They defeat Tywin's army. They send off Bruce Bolton to lead that. What doesn't work out later is Rob, and we'll talk about it when we get to it, decides... I want to marry this girl instead mm. and does that so Catelyn commits them to this and rob agrees to this in the long run it doesn't work out at all in the short term it works out better but in the long term i don't think you can pin it all on one person i think like a lot of things in this series there's a lot of different kind of tributary causes that yeah. flow into a bigger river yeah which i think is uh rich and neat and i will talk about what what your comment soon julie because there was more to it but first, I just want to really quick just say, I love the descriptions of Walter Frey in this. I think he's just a very vivid character jumps oh, right yeah. off the screen, or the page, rather. Just, the descriptions are great. Like, Lord Walter was 90, a wizened pink weasel with a bald-spotted <laughs> head, too gouty to stand unassisted. And, like, the first time we see him, he's, like, ordering around his kids and grandkids. He, he, he has this running theme of, like, uh, he's always talking about, like, I have this one son. He's going to be Lord. Oh, I'm not dead yet. I'm going to live just to spite him. <laughs> Which is just, it's it, like, th- th- that's Walter Frey. Yeah. He's that kind of guy. 
he will outlive you into his hundreds. Not because he wants to live, because he just doesn't want you to be happy. Like That's Walter Frey's character in a nutshell. He's, he's the Strom Thurmond of, the, yes. of Westeros. Walter Frey is the Strom Thurmond of Westeros, absolutely. Um, so I, I love that aspect. He has like the 16-year-old wife, even though he's 90, and he's Ugh. like, eh, he's just for me. Like, it's so gross, but you remember that. You remember yeah. him. He definitely stands out. Um, and there are also this one bit where, okay, so on one page, he talks for like literally a page and a half, just like rambling mm-hmm. about how put upon he is. And I, I, I kind of like to think that was Martin's way of like putting us in the mindset of Catelyn, mm-hmm. just in showing us how patient she would have to be. Like, okay, he's still rambling. He's yeah. rambling. Rambling, rambling, rambling. He's got to sit here and just kind of smile pleasantly until he's finished. I wonder, I wonder if this book came out today, if we would have a whole bunch of think pieces about how Walter Frey is Donald Trump. Oh, we like, absolutely. You know, you would. would. I, like, I was if kind season of season one. If season three came out a few years later, we would have. Yeah, I was because I was seeing that parallel a little bit when I was reading this because he's just sitting there rambling, and it's always like you know, talk about wanting to outlast just despite, and like he's the guy, he's the man, and it's all this kind of stuff. And I definitely got that parallel, which again, I guess, kind of goes back because we've talked about this multiple times with George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. Is this is this him? Uh, replicating this part of history, like with you know the uh, the Dothraki, is that mm-hmm. an interpretation Scythians. of of Native Americans and uh, you know, right. indigenous people and mm-hmm. stuff like that? So it's just it's it's funny how the book came out in '97. We were already comparing it to things that had happened in history, and here we are in 2018 talking about the book, talking about how these characters, oh, this connects to this person, this connects to that mm-hmm. event, this is that. So I mean, it's you know timeless classic is a very haughty thing to kind of throw out there but it is kind of like a timeless thing where it's like different oh, yeah. different eras were connecting the literature to real world things and i think that that's george r that, that's a testament to how well george r martin put this together with the themes and everything like that and it's i don't know it's, it's just a cool little oh no I, I definitely think there's it. a timeless nest quality to it and that i think the proof of that is that you you, you compare walter Frey to different people when you read it, yeah. like he's Bush in one time, mm-hmm. he's Cheney another time, he's Trump another time, just the, 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 the characters who are written just to be kind of themselves have a timelessness that just w- will span mm-hmm. whenever you need them to. Like if you're not trying to make an allegory for something, it'll be an allegory for everything. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Is, is the kind of way I'd put it. Okay, uh, let's end with some more discussion of Julie's comment because it was really, really good. Julie, I'm serious. I really uh, enjoyed reading your comment. It was fantastic. And, and you're still arguing on here. He wanted to get across the bridge. didn't understand <laughs> to think of the consequences. And no, he didn't. But I, I would argue that he did, as king, know he was going to have to assume some responsibility. But you, you're right, Julie. The, what, what, what you pointed out mostly was that you didn't like Catelyn. For the, the biggest reason was her treatment of John, which I do agree is mm-hmm. the biggest black mark on yep. her character. I mean, you know, here's... You know, a woman who's married, you know, probably as a teenager, like late teens to Ned, and then she doesn't know him. He goes up to war because it's one of those arranged things. Mm-hmm. He comes back. He's a baby. Like, it's my best. We're going to raise it. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, and just hates him. Mm-hmm. Like, and doesn't make a huge uh, secret of it either. Yeah. Like, it's pretty upfront with, I do not like you and wish you were gone. It's 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 rough. It's very hard on John. Well, I guess where I can still find me a light Catelyn is I, I don't think that one black mark in your character is is your whole character. No. I think she has other things that she does very well, 
other good qualities. But yeah, I fully acknowledge it's a horrible thing. That's a terrible way to act, and it didn't do any good for anybody, especially John. But I, I can still look to her better qualities and say, on the whole, she's someone I want in my corner. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm siding a little bit with Julie on this one in that it is, it's very hard to overlook. My, my oh, thing about it, though, is because she didn't know the real story of John. She didn't. So retrospectively, if she would have known exactly the, what the situation was and what John was and where he came from and why Ned was bringing him back and mm -hmm. why Ned wanted to look over him, I think that she didn't get all the evidence. So she was judging a case unfairly because she was biased against what she thought was happening. Ned comes home with a bastard child. Ned got it on when they were married and lived outside of that marriage. Mm -hmm. So naturally, that's going to make her mad. And that's, gonna, that's going to pit her against John. Whereas if I think she would have had all the facts, I think if she would have known where he was coming mm -hmm. from, then if she reacts the same way, I'm, I'm completely out on Catelyn. I'm like, come on, you can't do that. But I think I'm going to give her a retroactive benefit of the doubt in that she didn't know the full story. I want to say that if she would have known the full story, she would have had a different reaction. Mm -hmm. But I can see why people are, are, are out on Catelyn because sure. that's, that's a, there are black marks, and then there's this. And this is a very it's hard one to look past. But I, I agree with you in that there's other, there's other qualities. When you're looking at it, when you have the God view of everything that she did, mm -hmm. you have to take everything into account. And that's, you know, and you we, can't just let one bad thing spoil everything i mean one really bad thing mm. I mean, that's a whole discussion though like why didn't ned tell her i i mean that's something we can talk about maybe a little later mm. um because that's a whole other talk i'm not really entirely sure why i mean it, at least it, it, if not in the beginning then like later once he trusted her but i don't know that's a a discussion for another time it's like a really glaring fact for honorable ned to be like eh, never mind uh anyways <laughs> hey, well here's he, the wanted, kid. he wanted to protect him he didn't want to risk the secret getting out and Robert killing him. Yeah, I mean, I understand why he did it, but it's just like the fact that he's gone through this entire book and literally is going to get his head chopped off because right. he was so bound to the truth. It's like, really? That's, you're just going to kind of smudge the facts on that one and, and not tell Catelyn the whole truth? But, it's one of the great ironies of him. And again, that every, every character in this story, except maybe like Ramsey Bolton or something, has light and dark. And I think it's one of, I think it's one of the things that makes it really good. Mm -hmm. That uh, yeah. even good characters have bad things they've done and even bad characters usually have ways to look at them that aren't terrible Cersei for instance has some good qualities to her alright what a fun philosophical discussion oh, yeah. uh, next week let's hit the next chapter which is John, and then a Daenerys chapter All right. so John Daenerys who are who worked out okay yeah. more or less <laughs> we can see so it didn't, it didn't stop them and guys, if you have any other comments, feel free to email them to dan.selfgetwinnerscoming.net. We'll be happy to discuss them on the show. But we'll see yeah. you next week, Wednesday at 4 p.m. for more Game of Thrones news, more Song of Ice and Fire discussion, and uh, more good times. Uh, enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.